Lawrence was on. This is the Overnights program, and it's time to head to Boston, Massachusetts. Celeste Katz-Marston is our guest there. Celeste, uh, welcome back to the program. Good morning. You know, Celeste, on a day where basically the President gave his State of the Union a few weeks late, let's skip over that for a moment and jump to the Academy Awards, which remarkably had a 58% drop in viewership from last year, which was down anyway. I think it was the least watched Oscars in history. Is that right? Yeah, I think it was certainly... uh, uh not an impressive showing uh, for the Academy Awards for the Oscars. And and this is part of a bigger trend of people not watching awards shows quite the same way they used to in the United States. They're just not that big of a thing. Obviously, though, this was a very different year for entertainment. Hmm. Did you watch it? What do you think? You know what? We started to watch it. We didn't finish watching it. <laughs> we, Why not? Did we you want to say who won? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because and, and I think that this might be some of the disconnect that a lot of uh, other Americans experienced. You know, we weren't in movie theaters this year, yeah. this past year. We were just not living that way. Some films we did see uh, online and did enjoy. Uh, Minari, for example, which uh, won some awards we mm-hmm. did see and did enjoy. But um, other films, uh, Nomadland, which uh, got a lot of accolades as well, we did not see. Uh, you know, probably we will get to it at some point, but um, people are consuming entertainment very differently. And um, I just felt like we didn't have as much of a stake in it this year. And I imagine a lot of other people felt the same way because we just weren't, you know, in theaters. Yeah. There is a huge disconnect between good films and popular films. And that was never the case. I mean, it was probably only the case up till maybe the 1990s, perhaps, where good films and Oscar-winning films and popular films they're all the same. But after that, with this explosion of films about, you know, superheroes and everything, they're never going to win Oscars, I hope. Um, so, yeah, I mean, why would anyone watch the Oscars to see a whole lot of films that no one's actually been to the movies to see? That is the problem, isn't it? Yeah, I think that that really is. And also, you know, frankly, and, and we've been part of this uh, uh, of this experience, too, is that I think during the pandemic, when people were hunkered down, you know, certainly it was an opportunity to say, oh, you know, that old movie that yeah. we never saw, but it got great reviews like you could watch that. But, you know, people also sort of indulged in kind of a comfort food style of of entertainment, you know, watching reruns of old sitcoms or something like that, or watching a movie that you loved and you've seen 10 times, but you want to see it again, you know, sort of something, I don't know, relaxing and and familiar. And I think that, you know, uh, that coupled with simply not being in theaters, you know, contributed to maybe a little bit less, uh, less of an interest this year. You know, I've just completed a complete rewatch of all three seasons of Gilligan's Island. And I got (laughs) to say, I don't know why that's funny, Celeste. Um, I will say it's a, not I, a great I'm show. I'm out of pure, pure jealousy. <laughs> it's not really very good. The show goes downhill very, very quickly after season one. I mean, not that it started at a very high bar, but really, <laughs> I know it's always sort of the, the benchmark of a really bad TV show, and sadly it lived up to that expectation. I'd say, like you, like most people, we watched it endlessly as kids, and... I wasn't all that fussed about Gilligan's Island, but watching it as an adult now, wow, I was really disappointed in it. 
I was always curious as to how they could build a complete functioning uh, radio set out of coconuts, but they yeah. couldn't get anybody to get them off the island. That's oh, sort of, no. I don't know. There were, it, it raised a lot of existential issues for me. Wow. Well, well, look, not wishing to go too much into this, but the <laughs> existential part of um, Gilligan's Island apparently is that the seven characters were based on the seven deadly sins. So there was envy, was Mary Ann very envious of Ginger. She was lust, of course. Um, there was uh, greed, was the um, uh, Mr. Howell. Um, Gluttony was the skipper. So they were all, Pride was the professor, I think. They, they all apparently mixed into the, uh, into the Seven Deadly Sins, apparently. Wow, that's a that's a very uh, literature based approach to it. Very interesting. You will um, you will definitely uh, you know think differently of it when you uh, see it again. Now here we go. Here's uh, the prez. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President. No president has ever said those words from this podium. No president has ever said those words. And it's about time. For me, when I think climate change, I think jobs. There is simply no reason why the blades for wind turbines can't be built in Pittsburgh instead of Beijing. And by the way, while you're thinking about sending things to my desk, <laughs> let's raise the minimum wage to $15. Okay, so that's just some of the highlights of his speech. To Congress, what did you make of uh, President Biden's speech? Uh, well, for one thing, it was actually remarkably long. Uh, C-SPAN did uh, uh, a quick breakdown of uh, the length of the uh, a new president's first uh, address to a joint session of Congress. And I think Biden is, the at least in modern history, the record holder coming in about uh, 64, a little over 64 minutes. But he had a lot to say. Again, yeah. we live in, in a very, unfortunately, in some ways, very interesting times. Um, I think that largely this speech has been characterized as kind of like, a feel-good, America is back, we can do this, we're coming around the corner, we're, you know, um, you know, coming around the bend, that that kind of thing. I mean, there were a lot of serious proposals in there. The United States is facing a lot of very serious problems from uh, coronavirus to, uh, you know, as you played in the clip, climate change to um, racial justice, issues of uh, policing, police reform. I mean, there was a lot for Joe Biden to slog through. Um, certainly did make history giving uh, his first uh, address uh, in this in this format with a, a female vice president, female speaker of the house that was uh, very interesting but you know seeing very um, low attendance by design uh, I think only yeah. a few hundred people in the chamber uh, wearing masks and so on uh, you know very different feel to this but I think reflective of, of what's going on in, in uh, you know history right now. Who's he actually talking to? Uh, is he talking to the people in Congress or is he talking over their heads to the people of the United States to get them on side? Who are these speeches aimed at? Because there's always a lot of hype about what's going to be said. I know this is not quite a State of the Union, but it sort of is. Um, but they're kind of a lot of the stuff is forgotten the next day. 
Yeah, as you say, this is not an official State of the Union address. The tradition is that the first State of the Union is delivered after the president has been in office for a year. So, but this is a, you know, in a, a, a watershed moment, you know, an important milestone in a very new presidency coming up to, you know, 100-day mark, um, or right at around 100 days. Um, a lot has happened. Uh, you know, the vaccine program continues to ramp up, still struggling with uh, deaths, but hopefully seeing um, those finally ratcheting down, uh, coming to terms with what it's going to mean in the United States to reopen. We've had, um, you know, just in the past few days, new advice from the CDC about wearing masks in public and what people can do with some measure of confidence and safety once they are uh, vaccinated. But still a long ways to go. So I think in answer to your question, uh, President Biden was speaking to the American people, trying to you know, strike a very reassuring tone, but also asking for their support for a lot of programs that are very important, but frankly are going to cost a lot of money. That money has to come from somewhere. Um, he is positioning it in the form of a tax increase on the wealthiest Americans, uh, saying that nobody who makes under $400,000 a year in the United States will see their taxes go up. But he's going to have uh, he's going to have some resistance from uh, Republicans, certainly in Congress, to some of these things. And remember, obviously, he is a president who is uh, the result of an extremely, extremely polarizing election. He spent the last, a lot of his first 100 days undoing things that were done by his predecessor, by executive order. So he's really in a tough position. And I think he tried to largely remain positive, reach out across the aisle. It remains to be seen if uh, if that hand is going to be yeah. accepted uh, or snap, uh, slapped away because Ted Cruz fell asleep during the speech. <laughs> Ted Cruz stays busy. I don't know, maybe he's tired from uh, from mm. traveling. Yes, indeed. Uh, but, you know, the, the tax increase, which, as you say, is only on people who earn more than $400,000 a year, which is a minute part of the workforce, uh, it, it goes from, what, $0.37 cents to $0.39 cents or something in the dollar. Like, that's an extra $0.02 cents is not going to kill a billionaire, is it? Uh, I wish I knew, <laughs> but uh, from personal experience, I do not. Uh, you know, look, it sounds very reasonable. I mean, he is talking about trillions of dollars in spending on top of what he's already proposed. This is a, a you know a large scale uh, plan that goes out uh, for ten years, actually. Uh, infrastructure, uh, lots of stuff there. You know, uh, minimum wage increases and so on, all included in his sort of economic vision. Um, he asked a question, which was kind of poignant, I thought, during the speech when he talked to people who are resisting this kind of tax increase. And he says, "If you're not going to raise taxes on the wealthiest people, whose taxes are you going yeah. to raise?" Yeah. And that that you know that's a very that's a very striking question. On the other hand, though, you can imagine very well that the answer for a lot of Republicans, certainly, or fiscal conservatives would be, why do you have to raise anybody's taxes? Why don't you cut wasteful spending wherever you can find it and then see how we're doing? Yeah. So certainly two sides to that question. Sure, except, you know, it's easier to raise taxes than cut spending because then, you know, you are always going to have to come up with a reason to cut the spending. Okay, there's a lot of wasteful spending in government. We know that. But unfortunately, that never seems to be the spending they cut. It always seems to be the things that actually people need or would like or arts programs are always uh, under the gun. So, hmm, uh, we will see what happens. Now, speaking of which, uh, a lot of money has been spent on the response to COVID. We know that, including the vaccine program, which continues to be rolled out. 
in some parts of the US, including Massachusetts, I think if you're outdoors, mask wearing is no longer necessary. Most parts of Australia have kind of dispensed with that, well, maybe a month or more ago. What is the general situation, certainly in Massachusetts and then beyond that? Yeah, so Massachusetts, we are going into uh, kind of, we have a phased program here for gradually reopening and getting back to regular public life. And so that took a big step, as as I mentioned a little bit earlier this week, when the CDC, the federal government, started talking about it being okay to not wear a mask if you're outdoors, if you're, if you are not around a ton of people. So if you're at a crowded sporting event or a concert or something like that, still have to wear the mask. Um, you can eat outdoors uh, without a mask now, again, presuming that it's not super crowded. But gradually we're starting to see in Massachusetts things like, um, you know, uh, stadiums and so on will be uh, increasing the capacity at which they can operate. You're going to see the lifting of curfews um, and certain kinds of restrictions at restaurants and bars, uh, places that serve food. And hopefully by this summer, kind of August 1 is kind of what we're looking at, but it could be sooner where we're really going to see kind of uh, a return to normal or as normal as normal can get, considering that um, we've certainly not completed the, the vaccination process in this country. Doing okay with it, but uh, not quite there just yet. But if you are vaccinated, that has an effect on your mask wearing, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, people are looking at this as, uh, you know, the answer to a question which has been around for a long time, which is, well, A, when can we take this off? And B, what is the benefit of getting vaccinated? Why should I care? And the answer is, you know, this is a, a concrete sign that if you do take the step of getting two doses uh, of the vaccine, getting fully vaccinated and waiting the appropriate amount of time afterwards for it to take effect, you can go back to enjoying uh, a more normal, comfortable lifestyle and not having to restrict your movement, uh, cover your face and so on. Um, you know, that's something that people have really been looking forward to. And uh, if you keep the restrictions in place forever, people are going to feel like, well, what's the point? You know, I'm doing this for nothing. I'm yeah. never going to get anywhere with it. So, um, you know, trying to encourage people to take the step of getting vaccinated in order to say, look, if you are vaccinated, you can see your friends again. You can go out to a restaurant, eat outside. You can, uh, you know, do all things that, that unvaccinated people can't do safely. And that's better for everybody. Although if you're outdoors having dinner or lunch or whatever with and you're vaccinated and they're not vaccinated, that can't happen. Yeah, I mean, well, that's dangerous, more dangerous, obviously, for the unvaccinated person. So a lot of the burden now is on people who have not gotten the vaccine. And at the beginning, as you and I have discussed, you know, it was difficult to get yeah. the vaccine. There were staged, um, you know, stages of people having vaccine available. And then there were questions about when vaccine would be shipped. We had obviously this pause on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which uh, I don't think did an incredible amount to decrease vaccine hesitancy among people who were scared of getting the shot, um, you know, but now uh, the vaccine is becoming very, very widely available. Um, a lot of uh, senior citizens, older people have gotten uh, both doses or at least one dose. Uh, the vaccine is now being opened up to kids as young as 16. Mm. Uh, so, you know, there's there's uh, much more availability. And if people can do it, they should do it. And pretty much uh, everybody can do it now. Hopefully. Just before we go, uh, Rudy Giuliani his house has been uh, raided by the feds. What are they looking for? 
Yeah, it looks like this is related to some ongoing questions and investigation of his, um, whether he adhered to or broke foreign lobbying laws. Uh, as you know, Giuliani was a former mayor of New York. He once ran for president, and I covered that campaign. And if you blinked, you pretty much missed it. Um, but he ran back in uh, 2008. But uh, he became the president's ally and uh, his attorney. And now it's being looked at. Uh, what he did in relation to Ukraine, whether he was lobbying for Ukraine, whether he was, you know, um, involved in sort of foreign affairs on a level that he should not have been without certain declarations. So they're looking for information on this to see what he was really up to. Mm, interesting. Uh, they won't let that go. That's for sure. Uh, sadly, we must leave that there, I think, though, uh, Celeste. But no doubt plenty will happen in the next couple of weeks. And uh, when it does, we'll talk about it with you. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much. That is Celeste Katzmarston in Boston, Massachusetts.